Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kei te whakaronga mai, kwe ki tō tato au horihori. Hei hōtaka e panaki a papa tuanuku, tangaroa, meirangi nui. This is Our Changing World on RNZ National, and now, the Royal Society Te Aparangi has just released a report on antimicrobial resistance, implications for New Zealanders. It summarises what we know about the issue, which it describes as a serious global health problem. It's a problem vexing the minds of many researchers, as well as the medical profession, and solving it will require significant international and cross-disciplinary cooperation. I'm off for a chat with a couple of biochemists who typify that kind of collaboration. Wayne Patrick is a protein biochemist at the University of Otago, and Maria Selma is a visiting researcher from Sweden's Uppsala University. I'll let them explain exactly what they do and how it contributes to solving the problems of antibiotic resistance. Well, here in the Department of Biochemistry, I guess we... We use a bunch of different approaches uh, to address all sorts of questions in um, how proteins work and how they've evolved to do the jobs they're doing and how we might be able to engineer them to things that might be of use for the biotech industry. So give me an example of something that might be of use to the biotech industry. We actually just finished the project um, working with Lanzatech, the biofuels company that was founded in Auckland, uh, to try and engineer enzymes so that their bacterium that eats greenhouse gases uh, can make petrochemical replacements, so uh, molecules used in the plastics industry, for example. And doing that, we needed to engineer enzymes to make these new molecules inside their bacterium. Now, Maria, you are out here on sabbatical and collaborating with Wayne, but do you want to just quickly tell me what it is that you do? So I'm a structural biologist. I work at Uppsala University, Sweden, normally, and uh, my main technique is, is X-ray crystallography. So I try to find out how different proteins and nucleic acids, what they look like at atomic level to understand how they work and then to, to combine that with, with different types of experiments to understand their function. What is it that you two are collaborating on? Well, it's, this, it's an evolution story as it turns out. What's really neat about the story is that evolving enzymes were, were found by letting bacteria evolve, so we didn't. We didn't use kind of techniques in the lab to force the evolution of these enzymes. The bacteria just had to grow and figure out a, a solution to a problem imparted upon them. And, and the solutions that the bacteria came up with at the level of the atomic structure and the function uh, that Maria and I have been studying were kind of unpredictable and unexpected. And so it's been a really neat story that effectively the bacteria evolved enzymes in a way that no protein designer in the world would have thought to try. So it's a bit like giving nature its head and saying off you go, let's have a see what you can do. That's right, that's right. And in doing so I think we're, we're learning something of course about, about evolutionary processes in nature. You know, it's kind of it's relatively, you know, it's a good mimic of the evolution that's happening all around us all the time. So one of the, one of the take home messages is that uh, these new enzymes could evolve quite quickly. And the experiment ran for about 3,000 generations of bacterial growth, which sounds like quite a lot, 3,000 generations of, 
on a human time scale was thousands of years, of course. But for bacteria, that's I mean they've they've evolved something new in in a few weeks or a few months. It really emphasises how quickly evolution can work. And, and what's really cool about what happened at the atomic level is that we can really see how how these proteins could somehow learn to do multitasking. So they had an original shape that allowed them to do one function, and then with just a a small addition of, of three amino acids in the sequence, they could adopt another shape that allowed them to do this other job and also to switch between these two jobs. What are its practical applications? To a large extent, this is basic science, but it allows us to understand, um, to learn something new about the evolvability of, of a protein. So we can imagine that other enzymes with similarly small changes could also learn to do new jobs. And those jobs might be interested in, in, for example, biotech or in producing drug molecules or or, um, anything like that. And, I guess, um, evolution of antibiotic resistance, right? Yes. So so we're really emphasising how quickly novelty can appear, especially in bacterial populations. So tell me a bit more about that. What's the connection between proteins and antibiotic resistance? My main interest in antibiotics and antibiotic resistance are in the molecules that inhibit protein synthesis. So a large fraction of, of all the antibiotics that are used in the clinic, they work by blocking protein synthesis of bacteria. So every kind of cell, human cells or bacterial cells, they have to make a lot of, of proteins to allow growth and, and cell division. And a lot of the inhibitors then are selectively inhibiting protein synthesis in bacteria. The key to this is the ribosome. So the ribosome is the machinery in every living cell that takes genetic code and translates it into amino acids that make up all the proteins, and the proteins are then very important in doing various functions in in life. For a biochemist, the ribosome is an enormous and complicated molecular machine. It's much bigger than the the other enzymes that we work on, for example, and antibiotics are tiny, a relatively small number of atoms. I mean, the first um, sort of atomic pictures of the ribosome came around the start of the millennium, and at the time there was great hope that now with with this detailed description one should be able to use computer-based methods to predict where potentially new antibiotics could bind, but it turns out that the it's just too large and too complex. So you could sort of make the analogy with, let's say you had a really big uh, lecture theatre with a thousand seats and this tiny molecule would just fit in one of them and it's really tricky to predict which one. The ribosomes of humans and bacteria are slightly different, so antibiotics are designed to target and bind to a specific tiny area on the bacterial ribosome and ignore our own cells. A range of antibiotics target the ribosome including tetracyclines, streptomycin, chloramphenicol and many others. They all work in slightly different ways, but the end goal is the same. Stop the ribosome making proteins. But bacteria are adaptable. They can quickly make changes that effectively lock out the antibiotic. So what is antibiotic resistance? Really anything you can imagine that might stop the antibiotic from doing its job. 
uh, you can get to antibiotic resistance either by sort of mutations in the genes that encode the ribosomes or by additional resistance proteins that can either chemically change the ribosome by adding some chemical group that blocks the antibiotic from binding or acting on the, on the antibiotic outside the ribosome. There's lots of possible evolutionary solutions, I suppose, to, to preventing an antibiotic from working. So you could imagine that a bacteria might turn on a pump so that when the antibiotic gets taken up, it pumps it straight back out of the cell again. Or, as Maria was talking about, it might, there might be mutations in its ribosome that stop the antibiotic from binding to the, its actual target. Or the other example that Maria's been working on in her time over here at Otago is an enzyme that chemically modifies two different antibiotics. So, you know, they get inside the bacterial cell and they're heading for the ribosome to kill the bacterial cell, but some bacteria have this enzyme that modify it so that it doesn't work anymore. And I think that's kind of an interesting evolutionary story and structural story too. And I think going back to um, the analogy of drugs fitting in the ribosome as people fitting in different seats in a lecture theatre, I mean the chemical modification of the drug would be like the drug taking on a thick coat and not fitting in the seat anymore. So what have you been doing with this? We've determined the atomic structure of, of this enzyme and we can see then how the enzyme recognises these particular drugs and now what uh, I'm doing here together with Wayne is to try to see, well, what happens if we try to evolve an enzyme that has better activity on one of these drugs? Does it still then keep the activity on the second drug or not? And maybe uh, relate to, to uh, the real situ- situation of, of uh, evolving antibiotic resistance where bacteria may be suddenly exposed to a new variant of drug that maybe can be handled a little bit by one of the resi- existing resistance enzymes and how, how it could evolve to, to be better for the, for the bacteria and worse for us. So is this a bit like the enzyme at the moment is particularly good at recognising both kinds of antibiotics and what you're suggesting is that perhaps you could modify it so that it in a sense gets distracted so it puts all its attention onto one and in the process fails to notice the other one. Yeah, that's that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, exactly. That's what we'll try and do in the lab, assuming that that might also be something that happens in nature, right? So mm-hmm. you can imagine, get food poisoning, take one of these two antibiotics. Um, some, of the, some of the salmonella might, you know, might accumulate mutations that change change this enzyme so that it's really good at inactivating that one antibiotic. But that may then allow the doctor to say, right, now I need to switch to this other antibiotic, safe in the knowledge that it will work again, even though it wouldn't have worked before. You know, So, so I think this idea of evolving resistance to one thing and at the same time evolving sensitivity to other things is going to be a super important strategy in managing infectious disease going forward. You know, can, we, can we systematically predict you've been infected by a, by a superbug that is resistant to this class of antibiotics, but we know that that makes it more sensitive to these other antibiotics. You know, I think that would be a change in prescribing that would be a real-world outcome. I mean, one possible solution for um, the antibiotic resistance problem will be to take some drugs totally out of use for, let's say, 10 years and then hope that resistance 
against that drug will be sort of lost and then put it back into use. But obviously this is challenging to manage worldwide when, when in some countries you can just buy antibiotics as you like. What we've learned in the last few decades, right, is that um, bacteria are, are winning. You know, bacteria are evolving resistance faster than we can find and develop new antibiotics. So we need to think more broadly about how we can beat them at this game, right? It's not just a matter of digging up dirt and looking for naturally produced antibiotics. We need to kind of get more cunning in our battle with these pathogens. That was biochemist Wayne Patrick from the University of Otago. And we also heard from Maria Selma from Uppsala University in Sweden. You'll find links to the Royal Society Te Aparangi report on antimicrobial resistance and a recent book on the same subject by University of Auckland microbiologist Susie Wiles on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, you can sign up for our weekly email newsletter and don't forget, you can stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're RNZ Science. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.